I wonder how many times in the last maybe month have at some point or another you've looked at someone or you've looked at a situation and you've gone, seriously? Or you've said to someone, are you serious? Uh, Oftentimes my grandchildren will ask their grandmother, is grandpa serious? Uh, We ask that question. We ask that question to determine the truth of a statement made. We, we make that utterance to determine the, the, the truth of or the, the reality of something said or something done. We ask that question out of disbelief that something could be true. And sometimes that question is asked of God in the midst of paradise. On an unnamed morning, there was an interaction in that perfect Garden of Eden, an interaction between the physical embodiment of evil, a serpent, and God's crown of creation, the first couple, Adam and Eve. The the serpent directed his initial comments to Eve. And those first words uttered by the embodiment of evil doubted the seriousness of God. We read in Genesis chapter 3 that the first words out of the serpent's mouth are, Did God really say? Is God serious? We will discover, beginning this morning, and continuing on throughout the rest of the spring and well into the summer, yes, God is serious. Today I'm introducing you to a section of the Bible that has been largely neglected. It's uh, one of those sections of the Bible that if we're doing a read through the Bible, it's the one that we kind of want to get through. Uh, I'd say the primary section, the primary part that we want to get through is usually Leviticus, we, we, and, then, and then what we call the minor prophets. We are going to start a series this morning through the minor prophets. Now, my guess is, as I mentioned the names of these books that we're going to go through, some of you are going to wonder, where's that in the Bible? Others of you will have one book, one book that you really know about, and the rest of them you're not so sure about. We're going to go through the books of Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, yeah, that's the one we all know, right? Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. They make up that section called the Minor Prophets. It's believed that these books were dubbed Minor Prophets many years ago by a man by the name of Augustine, or Augustine, however you want to say it. And he gave it that title not because they were unimportant. He gave it that title not because of anything other than these books are very short. Consider, in my Bible, and I actually counted it up, they exist 12 different prophecies. They exist on 64 pages of text. Whereas the single prophecy of Isaiah is 76 pages of text. And it's interesting too, in fact, some of the reading I was doing this last few weeks and months and getting prepared for this, is that there is some 
scholarship from the late 20th century and in into, on into today that say that these books weren't originally 12 separate books. But there are certain texts that, use, that call them the book of the 12. And it's interesting, and I would challenge you to sit down, and I realize, I very much realize the language and the circumstances and all that you read will be very hard to grasp. But as you read these and begin to get the theme, it's very interesting that when you come near the end of Hosea, the theme that you find in the end of Hosea seems to be carried into Joel. And the theme at the end of Joel seems to be carried into uh, Amos. And, and it seems like there's some connectivity there. But this series, we're going to look at them as unique parts. It's very interesting and something that, that's we got to be aware of as we approach a new section of Scripture. These prophets here weren't what we would call writing prophets. If you want to go to one who wrote down things, it would be Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote stuff down, or he dictated stuff to a, a scribe named Baruch. But most of these prophets were spoken prophecies. So, for instance, when we get into Hosea in earnest next week, Hosea spoke his prophecies, or sometimes they're called oracles, and probably somebody was there, maybe somebody that he hired, to write down things, and he would overlook it, uh, overlook the, or look over the text and make sure it's what he said. And as they spoke, they, they spoke to a group of people. And I don't think that should disturb us at all with our Bible. I like what one scholar said, we have in our hands the Bible God wanted us to have right now. Prophets were unconventional people. And they spoke unconventional messages and illustrated them in unconventional ways. And what I want to do today by way of introduction is I want to paint a picture for you of the times in which the prophets spoke. I want to leave you with some major themes that we're going to see as we go through this whole section. And then I want to leave you finally with a challenge. I will tell you that as we go through the minor prophets, we're not going to go through them verse by verse. We're going to deal with themes. And we're going to also get an understanding of what prophecy is. When I say prophecy, sometimes people think of this guy that had a funny hat and a long beard from the 1500s whose name was Nostradamus. And Nostradamus made these predictions that people say he was a prophet. I mean, he made reportedly these accurate predictions. We always think about prophecy as predicting the future. I want you to change that thought process. In the Bible, two-thirds of all of the prophetic utterances in the Bible are what I am going to call prescriptive. In other words, they are speaking to the community at the time saying, this is what you need to do to change. Prophets spoke truth to their community, and especially prophets in the Bible spoke truth to the community of God's people and said, here's the direction you're going. It's a wrong direction. You need to change. One-third of the prophecy of the Bible is predictive. 
And it would be like this. Here's the direction you're going. It's the wrong direction. You're moving away from God. You need to change and come back to God. If you don't change and come back to God, this is what's going to happen. The key is that a prophecy is fulfilled either by obedience and response to the warning of God or by God stepping in and bringing about what was predicted. And we will be able to look back through history and we will see how that when God spoke, sometimes people responded and sometimes they didn't and we will see what God did. So what, what can we learn by way of introduction? Here's the first thing we can learn. God is serious about the spiritual condition of each person. You see, times change, people change, but the human heart remains the same. One of the reasons I believe that the Bible is such a dynamic book is that it speaks to the condition of the human heart. So we live in this time of of you know multimedia and we live in this time of Wi-Fi and, and and live streaming sermons and everything else and we live in this time of we, we've got everything going on I mean my phone can direct me to where I need to go I drove someone to a testing site the other day and my phone showed me exactly where to go and the map was right there on my truck on the dashboard what great times we live in we have so many advantages but human heart condition remains the same. Regardless of the condition of the world into which these men spoke, there's a similarity in their message that makes it timeless for us. Some of the writers that we're going to, or the prophets that we're going to study, not writers because I said they were speaking prophets, uh, spoke to God's people when it was the best of times. Namely, Hosea, Amos and Micah. They all brought their messages when Israel in the north and Judah in the south were at their pinnacle economically, at their pinnacle politically, militarily. The nations were secure and they came and said, this isn't built on a sustainable foundation. Although many could say these men preached during the golden era of God's people, they saw problems. The prophet Joel. The prophet Joel spoke after a plague of locusts had come through and devastated the land. A real life situation that he said, this is an illustration of what God can do if you don't change and repent and call on the Lord. The prophets Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah preached during some of the worst times in the nation's history when it was obvious that they were about ready to be overrun by a more powerful nation, namely the Babylonians. And they they preached during times of great uncertainty and great fear. The prophets Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, they preached to those who had returned. They had come back from 70 years of captivity. From what God had promised would happen, happened. 
and they were in captivity for 70 years and, and God said, you're going to come back. And so they spoke about, here's how you live out God's truth in this new, this new time in your history. The prophets spoke to the times in which they lived. Some of them preached under kings who followed God, but most of them served under kings who could have cared less about God. These prophets lived during a time in which there was a growing sense of pluralism. Pluralism basically means this. It doesn't matter what God you pray to as long as you're sincere. Because, you know, there's really, there's, all gods are equal. And, and so it doesn't really matter because whatever God you serve, you see, what was happening in Israel was there was a growing movement to, to worship the god Baal and Ashtoreth, and they just put God right next to him. So, you know, if, if you play, pray to Baal or Ashtoreth or, or Yahweh, it doesn't matter as long as you're sincere. The more things change, the more they remain the same. Some of these men during, preached during times in which the rich got richer and the poor got poorer, and the rich would oppress the poor. They would take advantage of the poor. So yes, we're going to see in these minor prophets statements about social justice. Some of these preach during times when your wealth could buy you out of a guilty verdict. We're going to see some, some times where worshiping God was basically a formality. We went through the motions. And isn't that enough if I just go through the motions of worshiping God and kind of show up when it's time to show up and do what I need to do and then go live my life the way I want? Isn't that okay? We're going to encounter times in which there was national fear over enemies and terrorism. We'll encounter times in which government officials sought to merely protect themselves. We're going to encounter times where religious leaders were more concerned about their following than they were about really living for the God they wanted people to follow. God is serious about the spiritual condition of each person, and that's going to come clear in the Minor Prophets. There's a second thing that we're going to see in the Minor Prophets. God is serious about our character. Now, I've got a list, and it's not going to be up here. You're going to have to just listen and write it down. I've gone through this, and I've, I've listed the things that just stand out throughout the themes. Here's the first one. God is serious about our faithfulness to him. You see... Satan tries to tell you and me, and he tries to tell our culture, and the drift of culture is, just like I said, it doesn't matter who you pray to as long as you're sincere. God is serious when he says that he is the only one we're to worship. Hosea chapter 13 and verse 4 says this, You shall acknowledge no God but me, no Savior except me. God is serious. He's not playing games about our faithfulness to him. God is serious about true heartfelt worship. 
God is serious about true heartfelt worship. He's not playing games. You've heard me say before, there are some people who live like practical atheists. What do I mean by that? They show up to church. They're regular here at church. And they'll sing, and we're going to sing uh, some songs later on that talk about God reigning and talk about how it's better to spend one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And it's, we're going to sing a hymn that says, Oh, for a thousand tongues to praise my Lord. And you sing that with gusto on Sunday, and then Monday through Saturday, you just, the, the practical atheist doesn't even think about God anymore. They make the decisions they're going to make because it's expedient, it's advantageous to me, it makes my business grow. And God says, no, I am serious about true heartfelt worship. And in fact, in this same book of Hosea, verse 6 and chapter 6, God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. God is serious. God is serious about sin and repentance. As you go through these 12, you'll find repeatedly disturbing descriptions of destruction and devastation. And don't just see this as God getting angry, but it's God reminding us that sin has awful consequences and God wants to repeatedly warn us now Charlene and I have seen a lot of years of ministry come the end of May it'll be 37 years and one of the phrases that we use sometimes is I just hate it when I'm right because we'll sit down and listen to somebody and we'll talk to them and we'll, we'll say, you know, this is the direction you're going and, and it's not going to end well for you. And, and I believe God wants you to change and go this way. And they don't listen and we just, it, it breaks our heart. Because God is serious about sin and repentance. And listen to what he says to the prophet Joel. In Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and fast, with fasting and mourning and weeping. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. God wants more than anything else that anyone who is traveling their own path to turn around and come back to him. And he welcomes you with open arms. God is serious about sin and repentance. God is serious about compassion. God cares. God cares about you. God cares about me. God cares about our heart. And God speaks to that care when he rebukes Jonah. We all know the story of Jonah. Jonah, go to the Ninevites. Don't want to. Jonah, go to the Ninevites. Nope, I'm going this way. 
Jonah, I'm going to send a fish. They're going to throw you in. You're going to get swallowed by the fish. Three days later, he's going to belt you onto dry land. And you're going to go to Nineveh anyway because now when you go to Nineveh and your skin is all bleached white because you've been in the digestive juices of the fish, they're going to freak out and you're going to say repent and they're going to repent. And Jonah got ticked off. And he went up and he waited for God to strike the Ninevites because he hated the Ninevites because they were Assyrians. The Assyrians were a warmongering nation. And at the very end of Jonah, God says, Jonah, chapter 4, verse 11, Jonah, why are you angry over this plant that you didn't even do anything? Jonah sat there and God had a little plant come over and shade him and then he took it away. We'll get to all of that. And God says, there are 120,000 in Nineveh that don't even know their right hand from their left. What he's saying is there's 120,000 little, 120, little children Shouldn't I have compassion on them? God is serious about compassion. God is serious about true justice. The book of Amos is a book about justice. It's about the fact that there is injustice in the nation. And it's in the book of Amos that, that we run across that, that phrase, let justice roll down like a river. God cares about justice. He's a compassionate God. God is a God who is serious about his followers being people of mercy. We will, I, I, I think we will, sing this little song, this little chorus in, when we get to the book of Micah. Micah's words are well known as to how God wants us to live. Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you what is good and what the Lord desires of you, but to love justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. God wants you and me to be people of mercy because he's a God of mercy. God is serious. God is serious about you and me living by faith. The book of Habakkuk is a conversation. Habakkuk has this conversation with God and we'll get into that conversation and, and it's in the book of Habakkuk that we read that the righteous will live by faith. A, a, a phrase that the Apostle Paul would take and, and use in the book of Romans. And Habakkuk chapter 3, at the end of the book, Habakkuk has that phenomenal passage where he's heard what God's going to do. He's heard that God's going to bring the Babylonians. He doesn't understand why God is going to do what God is going to do. And yet he says this. He says, though Habakkuk 3, beginning in verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. What he is describing is complete and total annihilation of everything that gives them security and economy. And he says, when everything else goes, I will rejoice in the Lord. Verse 19 
The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. God is serious about you and me living by faith, trusting him when nothing else makes sense. I mentioned justice. Let me give you another verse for justice. We, we, I referenced Amos, Zechariah, chapter 7, beginning in verse 8. The word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. Wow. The most vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner. God says, I care about them. I want justice for them. God is a God of justice. And if God is a God of justice, you and I should be people of justice. God cares about integrity. The, the prophet Malachi presents his prophet in such prophecy in such a way that it's like a conversation between God and the people. And, and God will say things like, I've loved you. But the people say, well, how have you loved us? And back and forth it goes. And the thing is, the people in Malachi thought they were doing pretty good. Malachi, the last book of our Old Testament, the, the, the last utterance of God, the, the last utterance of a, a prophet from the Old Testament, Malachi's people thought they were doing really good. They didn't give to God's work. They were stingy. They, they didn't honor the institution of marriage. They didn't pay attention to God's obsolete laws, but they patted themselves on the back. And in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 14, we read this. You have said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. In other words, why should I follow God? I'm looking at my neighbor over here who's a, who's a wrongdoer, and it looks like he's getting away with it, so I'm going to get away with it. God says, I care about your integrity. And here's something else that we're going to see. God is serious about showing his love through redemption. We are going to find redemption woven throughout the minor prophets. The, the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea begins with God asking the prophet Hosea to do the unthinkable. Go and find a wife in the red light district. Go find a wife of prostitution and bring her back. And you know what? Hosea does it. We'll talk about it in just a second, a little more. And, and, and she goes back and Hosea goes and gets her and brings her back again. God, that, and God is showing who he is. He's a God who redeems, who restores. Joel will write that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
That's not just a statement in Acts or in Romans. It started way back here where God said to the prophet Joel, when you call on the name of the Lord, when you depend on the name of the Lord, you will be saved, Joel 2.32. Micah reminds us in Micah 5.2 that the Redeemer would come to Bethlehem or from Bethlehem, Zechariah. We just, two weeks ago, on Palm Sunday, at some point we said, we, we read from Zechariah, Behold, your Messiah comes, gentle and riding on a donkey. That's Zechariah 9.9. God, in all of it, shows hints and promises that his work is not just a work of judgment. He's not just a God who's angry. He's a God who's compassionate. And what God wants more than anything else, that, that we understand the depth of his compassion. The prophet Nahum will say in Nahum 1.7, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. God is serious about our character. God is serious about our obedience to him. I've already said it several times. We are going to encounter prophets who were willing to do whatever God asked of them. I just said Hosea marries a prostitute. She leaves him and goes back to her old life. He goes and he actually buys her back. Hosea understood how God could be a wounded lover. Amos was a successful shepherd and farmer. He left the farm He left his agricultural business to go to a land that really wasn't his because he was in Judah. He probably went up to Israel and he presented God's message. Habakkuk was a social observer. He was a student of culture. He couldn't believe how God would use an evil nation to punish his people, but he chose to trust God no matter what. Jonah reluctantly went to the enemy to preach repentance. He did it with a really bad attitude. And God still used him. You see, the bottom line in the minor prophets is really the bottom line in the entire word of God. Will you choose to take God at his word and be obedient to him? And that's the underlying question we will face throughout this series. And we're going to come back time and time and time again to just that simple question of being obedient to what God says. It's not a matter of culture. It's a matter of obedience. And I will tell you, obedience to what God wants is not always easy. It's not always convenient. And sometimes... It's not always conclusive. You may never see, I may never see the tangible results of obedience. That's never the point with God. We don't even have to go to the minor prophets. We could go all the way back to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Wonderful, God. Um, Lord, I don't have any kids. You kind of got to have kids to have a, be a great nation. Don't worry, I'm going to take care of it. 
So what's God do? He gives him one son. I'm going to make you a great nation. Well, we got to kind of, you know, and, and Abraham became a great nation, but he never saw the tangible results. The point with God is, do I trust him enough to follow him even when I don't see quantifiable results? I'm going to tell you, there are times in my own life, even recently, where I have wrestled with the reality of that question. And I'm going to tell you, it is not I have discovered. It is a process. I've been at this gig for almost 37 years, and I'm still discovering and wrestling that if I depend on tangible results, then I'm setting myself up for disappointment on one side, or I'm setting myself up for a dishonoring self-pride on the other side. There is often very little middle ground. I keep learning that I, I either trust God or I don't. I either follow God or I don't. And I have had to remind myself and I've had other people help me remember, God doesn't measure success like we do. Consider this fact. Rarely did any of these minor prophets see any success of people changing. And the one who saw the greatest success got angry about it. See, the key was never the response of the hearers. It's the obedience to God's message. I'm convinced God is going to speak through his word as we go through this series. And the question is, how will you and I respond to what God says? That's our challenge. I mean, you think about it this morning. If through this series, at some point or another, you feel in your heart that there's a hobby that you've been involved in that, you, that God says, I want you to stop that, will you do it? What if God says to you, you've been a little stingy with your resources, I want you to be more generous, will you do it? What if God says, you know, take stock of the things that you're streaming and that you're listening to on podcasts. And, you know, I was going to say, years ago when I preached a sermon like this, I said, T TV program. Who watches TV programs anymore? We watch streaming and podcasts and Hulu and Netflix and Amazon Prime Video and all like that. But if God says, I don't want you watching that anymore, will you stop? What if God tells you to do something really crazy? I mean, far out wacko, like go and invite the coworker who's been bugging you all year long to go and have lunch. Will you do it? Or just as crazy, to go across the street and just strike up a conversation with your neighbor and build a friendship. Will you do it? The minor prophets are all about being obedient to God, and that's the challenge I want to leave you with this morning.
when God speaks, will you choose to follow? Because God is serious. Father, thank you for this survey of your word this morning, not necessarily verse by verse, but we've looked at some very important issues that show up in your word. And now, Lord, it's left up to us. Will we, will we determine even now that when we hear you speak, we will follow because we know you're serious? It really is our choice. And yet, that choice is a choice that can draw us closer to you or drive us further from you. Remind us that you're serious. Remind us that you love us. Remind us that you want what's best for us, and that is to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.